right, uh, good morning. Uh, let's go ahead and get started for us Adult Sunday School. So if you're here for that, uh, we invite you to come back into the, uh, into the, center, uh, the center of the sanctuary. Um, all right, so we are, um, if you are just joining us, if you've been with us many time, you know, we are doing our foundations class, uh, which we try to do every fall and spring. So we are uh, doing our fourth uh, foundations class in a sequence, in a two-year sequence. Um, and, uh, and this whole section we are calling uh, Kingdom, all right? And, uh, and so on slide two, we said that in order, the, question, the, the question that we're trying to answer, the big question, is how should we as Christians relate to the world? Um, so it's, it's essentially a question, what does it mean for us as a community, as a church, or individually as Christians um, who relate to the world beyond the walls of this church, um, what, what should that look like? What should we consider? And we are, as part of our class, what we're saying is, um, at least, uh, at least in some ways, some three helpful tools that we can develop um, uh, are, these, are these three things that you see up here on the screen, all right? The first one has to do with uh, this, really getting a good grip on what our identity is. And we say we need to be able to distinguish our identity as church members and as kingdom citizens. Um, that the end of our Christianness does not end with our church membership. Uh, it goes beyond that. So the question then is, how? What, what, how, how should I be thinking about that? All right? And so, and I said, I've used this analogy. When you think about identity, think of as you're looking in a mirror. All right? And you're looking in a mirror and you're trying, to, you're, 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 you're trying to get a good grasp on who am I as a church member and, or, and who am I as a kingdom citizen? What does that mean? when I use, uh, when, I, when I describe myself in that way. And then secondly, we said that, it, that it, it, we, we move from looking at a, a mirror into looking through a window, all right? And we're looking out into the world and we're asking the question, what are the stories um, that are out there in the world that tell, us what the, that, that tell us what the world is? Why is the world the way that it is? Where did it come from? Where is it going? What's gone wrong with it? And we said that, that is a, those are all worldview-related questions, which is what we're talking about now. And we'll close our time um, in the month of May looking at this topic uh, of culture. What do we mean when we talk about, uh, when, we use that, when we use that word? Um, it's a word that's often been used and is often used pejoratively. It's used negatively. We talk about the culture. Um, and we're trying to keep our kids safe from the culture. Uh, don't be influenced by the culture. Um, and, and, though, and, and while in some ways those can be helpful, I also think it's actually, it's actually not. All right? And I'm going to argue that it's actually, uh, we are actually not called to be against the culture, but we are there to create good culture. All right? And we'll, we'll, talk about, we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. But where we are now, and this should be the next slide, is slide three. We're, we're, we're saying, well, what is the Christian story? Um, if we say there are all these stories out there, and we've kind of described a few of them, um, we live in a world, of course, um, where the Christian story um, is not the only story. Um, our story is drawn from the storyline of the Bible, and we use sort of four key words to describe that story. You can think about four key words as, this is a Bible story in four chapters. Um, the, the, and the chapters go from creation, the fall, redemption, and consummation, or, some, or sometimes it's often described as restoration. And those four questions, 
right, can be summed up by where's the creation? Well, where did this world come from? Right, it's the origins question. Um, how did this world come to be? Um, and depending on what worldview you are, you, you sort of operate out of, people have answered that question differently. Um, and then the second question is, is, is relating to what we would call the fall, but it's a question that all worldviews ask. What's wrong? What's gone wrong? Um, in some, some sense, everybody looks at the world and points at something and says, that's what's wrong with the world, right? As Christians, we have an answer to that question. Um, and so we want to look at that today. That's what we're going to be foc focusing on, on this idea, on the topic of the fall. But then we, that's only the second chapter, right? The third chapter of the story is what's happened in order for it to be mended, right? And, uh, and for us, the Christian story, of course, is wrapped up in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, we just celebrated Easter. That is a point in the history of the world that is significant that is a significant part of the story, of the worldview, of the Christian worldview story that, that the Bible tells us. And then the fourth question is, where is this world going? Uh, and it's the, and it's, the whole, it's the future question. All right, where, where is this world headed? Some people think it's just, it's just unraveling, it's really not headed anywhere. Right? Some, you know, some people say, well, it's just going to get better, right, as we as humans continue to advance. Um, the question, that, you know, right? For, but, but, but as Christians, how do we understand that question? Where the way is this world headed? And so it's a question that all worldviews answer, right? It's not, this is not a Christian-only question. And later on, we'll try to maybe draw some examples of some of these, um, maybe in the coming weeks, come of the other, how other worldviews have answered this question. Um, and the future question is not only something that is, that we are, we are being asked to just so we can, Think about the future. We live in the present as it relates to the future, right? It's we, we we are people who live backwards. If you if you have a very pessimistic view of the future, that translates to how people live today, right? We think about well, we only go around once, and therefore I'm going to make the most of it for myself. If if that if that's your worldview, then you're going to live a certain way. Um, so what we want to, we, what we want to try and answer these questions is, we are saying we want to say, how does the Bible describe these questions? All right. So the next slide. So last week we tried to lay out the first chapter of that story in creation, right? And the and the best way that we can summarize, if you answer the question, where is this world? Where did this world come from? One answer: God. Okay. And and the reason, and we take that from Genesis one one. Right? Because the Bible doesn't make a case for the existence of God. It presupposes it. It tells us the story of this world. It doesn't tell us the origin story of God. Because he doesn't have one. This universe did. This world did. He doesn't. And so when we answer that question, we, we are, that's our claim to how this whole story of the world began. Okay, and, and, and you can think about it in terms of the how, it, it, when you think about this idea of the origin of the creation story, you can think about it as it pertains to who God is. Who is this world created for? It's not created for us. Colossians 1.16 says that this world was created through him, speaking of Christ, and for him. Okay, we are part of the story. 
we are not the center of the story. Okay? And, and when, when we say, like, who is the principal figure in our Christian worldview, it is not us. Okay? And, 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 and typically, the other worldviews will go two ways on that. One, it overestimates our significance. Man is the measure of all things. Right? You have, right? You have, you have, you have that statement. Or you go the other way where man has no significance whatsoever and he's just another evolved animal, right? Or something like that, okay? In other words, other worldviews will either tend to overestimate our significance or underestimate our significance, okay? And, and, the, and, and, and the, the, the Bible's way of setting the, the, the tone for the whole discussion is to say that this universe was created by God and for God, okay? So that's the first, that's our first statement when we talk about what, what, should, we, what, what should we get from the first chapter of our story. The second has to do with, well, what does it say about us? What does it say about man? What about humanity, right? And the Bible's description of that is to say that even though that the, when we say that the story is that, that if God is the center of the story, we have a significant part in that story. And the reason that we can say that is because human beings alone are created in God's image. Okay? And so we, when, we, when we use that word, that becomes the basis, the foundation for why we, of, of, what, of what gives us our idea of significance, of dignity, of value, of worth. All right? Men and women are created in the very image of God. And that provides the basis for understanding who we are, right? In, in, in sort of the, the big language, we talk about having a biblical anthropology, uh, this idea of man. Who are, who, who are we? And, and, what, and again, every one of these things, we can either make too much of it or too little of it. Right? And so we are, we are of those who say the story that the, that, the, that the Bible's creation story is by God and for God. Man has a significant role to play. And for the, just for, you know, we, we need to move on here. But there are a few key things that come out of the first two chapters of Genesis that is very foundational for how we think about um, society. Okay? One is when we talk about the family as being the foundation of society, we get that from the Bible, right? We, we, talk about the, we talk about family as the foundation of society. Marriage as something that is instituted by God and is not merely a social construction. That we get from Genesis 1 and 2 as well. Work as something that is significant to our human existence. Um, that is part of the way that we are wired, that we are designed, okay? And anytime when we violate or go against God's design of those things, there is a law that is violated. Not, not necessarily a law as in God's moral law, although there are plenty of those as well, but the law by which God has designed this world to work. And that's what we are going to be talking about when we, come, when we start talking about the fall. One, one analogy that people have talked about is to, is to think about creation as the blueprint, the manufacturer's design, if you will. And in the fall, what happens 
is that in that event, we find that man no longer lives according to the manufacturer's design, according to the blueprint. And when we do not live according to, when we use something in the way it is not designed to function, it will break, okay? And that's what we will see in this next section. All right, okay, so that's, that's everything by way of review. Let's start looking at this idea of the fall, right? This should be the next slide. So when we think about the fall, the, the event of the fall, of course, recorded in Genesis 3. Um, and you can think about that the whole chapter in Genesis 3 sort of in two sections, okay? So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Genesis 3. But in Genesis 3, 1 to 6, you can see what we, what, what we can say is the event of the fall, okay? What happens, all right? And then verses 7 to 25 are the implications or the consequences of the fall. And what I want you to get from the, at least the first, the, the first six verses here, and I forgot to mention earlier, but, but when we ask the question, what are we created for? We are created to worship and to obey. Okay? That is what we are created for. The blessed life, according to the Bible, is a life of worship and obedience. Worship where we are giving God his due and recognizing him for who he is and obedience living according to the manufacturer's design. Whenever those two things are broken, are violated, and that happens in Genesis 3, we get the implications that are spelled out for us in verses 7 through 25. All right, and so in the fall, what we can see, and, and if, you, if you have your Bibles, you, you know the story, so we're not going to look at it in detail, but I want you to look and see that from the very beginning, right, the very beginning, is what Adam and Eve attempted to is to be like God, to be their own masters, all right? What we would say is to give, is to give value to themselves, more than they give value to God. The Bible has a word for that, and that word is called idolatry. All right? And so when we think about the, and the, and the whole story of the Old Testament, as you can see, is basically the world, is, is actually the story of idolatry and disobedience. Not giving God what he is due, and not living according to the manufacturer's design. Okay? And so, Really, the rest of the story is a re, is, is basically telling you the same story over and over and over again. Whether it's on an individual level, whether it's on a national level, when you get into the story of Israel and Judah going into exile. And then later on, when Paul talks about it, when, he, when, when, he's, when he's writing to the church, he's also writing about the same things. All right? And so this idea of worship and obedience becomes sort of the two twin themes that are violated in the fall and then gets played out over and over again in the rest of the story. All right? And so when you think about worship, you think about that as it pertains to idolatry. When you think about obedience, you think about it as, as it pertains to what Paul would later call and what he calls in Romans 6, he calls it lawlessness. All right? 
He describes sin as both a slavery, we are enslaved, right? We, we call it as a bondage. It's something that we need to be freed from, but we are also condemned right, because of the lawlessness associated with sin, all right? And don't, and, don't, and, and, and don't get, you know, mistaken when we talk about this idea of lawlessness because we use that term often for the extreme bad, worst, evil, wrong that we see in the world, right? We think about it more in terms of the heinousness of something, how awful something is, all right? And I don't need to spell out to you what, you know, when you think about what is awful evil in the world, your mind goes a lot of the places where my mind would go, right? So, but don't, right? It's not only about the extreme um, badness that we see in the world. This idea of lawlessness is any way that we say no to God's design for our lives in any form. That is lawlessness, okay? It, it, is, it is saying what God has said is not what I am going to follow because I know what's good for me, not God, okay? Um, and so what you see in the story is that's what you see in the story of Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve is the first question, the first question the serpent asks is, has God really said? Okay? That has to do with heeding, heeding the voice of God. What has God said? All right? And then when you think about this idea of that you would be like God, knowing good and evil, that is not giving God what he is due. He's due my worship, but I would say, forget that. I want the mastery, okay? I want to be like God. And so what you have in the fall, of course, is basically those two things, all right? So the rest of the story, right? The rest of the story is, is the, is the, are the implications of that, okay? And so, and, and maybe a helpful way is to kind of put those things, so this should be the next slide, okay? But I want you to think about these, and so you, should, you should see a table there, and, and, and I think this is a, at least it's helpful for me to think about these two things, okay? Because a lot of times we, 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 we ask the question, how should, I, should, how, how should I think about sin, right? What is sin, and what has sin done? And when we think about what has sin done in the world, these are sort of, I think there are two, these two aspects. Um, Keller in his book, uh, Center Church, he kind of says like these are the two sort of basic aspects of how we think what sin has done. What is the problem, if you will, right? If I look out into the world and I'm asking the question, what's the problem? Why is the world the way that it is, okay? And the way that we, we, we can say it is that in, in some sense, sin is a form of slavery. It's what brings about the suffering, okay? When, when we look out in the world and we, and we feel it, we feel it in our bodies, we feel it in relationships, we feel it, we see it in violence, whether we see it in psychological health, mental health, whatever it may be, when we're asking the question, why? Why is it that way? We are, at, we, are, we are really getting to the heart of the fact that sin is, brings about a form of suffering. We deal with its effects, all right? 
If, and, and, it, and it's what it's what we would say when we ask the question. We are, we are, we are really we are really getting to the hand and saying, we we feel we feel trapped, right? We want to be freed from it. Okay, and so there is a slavery aspect to what when we when we start talking about this. But the other thing, the other aspect of it is that sin is not just something that brings about our suffering. It also brings about our condemnation. We are guilty before God. Okay? Not, not, so we're not only feeling the effects of the sin. We're not only asking the question, what has sin done to me? But asking, what sin have I done? Right? And it's a question that, every, that all of us, right? And it's the reason why when, you, when we come to church on Sunday morning, we have this time of this corporate confession of sin. Right? We, we have that time not, not for those really lawless people who really need the corporate confession of sin. Right? I don't need it every week, you might say. Once a month is probably enough for me. Right? And that is not the case. Right? There's something about it that we are recognizing that the effects of the fall is real, right? And that I am part of the problem, all right? And so it's not only what has happened to me, but what have I done, okay? And I love this because in the story of Genesis, when God shows up, he asks two questions. Do y'all remember the first question, maybe you have your Bibles, what is the first question that, Jesus, that, that God asks when he shows up in the garden? Where are you? What is the second question that God asks? What have you done? Right? Where are you is the relational question. Right? What have you done is the culpability question. Right? It's not only what happened, right? When you show up on a scene and there's like a broken window or there's like cookies missing from the cookie jar, we don't ask the question, what happened? Right? You, you, you don't do that. Right? You ask, you turn around. Whatever, right? You, you get it, right? You know, right? In other words, that's, you, you can ask what has happened, but every time we are confronted with the reality of it, we ask the question, we, 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 we always engage in self-examination and ask the question, what have I done? Right? That, that leads to repentance, right? That's a repentance. And, and so when we, there are, both those questions come into focus for us as a reality of living in a fallen world. We ask the question, what's happened? What's gone wrong? But we also ask the question, what have I done? And both those aspects are needed um, for living in a fallen world, all right? If we are always only harping on one, we will never see ourselves as part of the problem. If we are only asking what have people done, we will always end up looking better than somebody else. Okay? Because we're always saying, well, if only those people got their act together, this world would be a much better place. Right? We're always looking for the most culpable person in our midst, in our world. All right? and, if, and if we say, well, if they, would take, if, they would, if they would repent, if they would turn from their sin, everything would be fine. That's not the case. Right? Beware for, of going one. And of course, if we go to the other then we will always only be asking, we will always be asking the fact that what has happened, what has happened to me, rather than ever seeing that we ourselves are part of the problem. All right, we need both. All right, we need both. All right, all right so 
uh, move on to the next slide. So when we, the, 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 and these are sort of just things that we, just for us to hold, all right, and a, and, a, and a good way for describing when we think about the effects of sin in the world is that it is cosmic, it is universal, it affects everything, all right? I love this diagram, when you, this idea of these concentric circles, right, and we can talk about it in terms of going from the middle to the out when we talk about the fact that there is a theological alienation, that we are alienated from God, our relationship with God is not the way it's supposed to be. Our relationship with ourselves, psychological, is not the way it's supposed to be. Sociological, our relationship with others, is not the way it's supposed to be. And physical, we live in a world where we are, where we are subject to all the physical things as well. All right, so all four aspects are what we, of what we experience. What is interesting is that a lot of people will acknowledge the outside circle. Right? In other words, that is, that is that. But the bullseye is by design. That ultimately our alienated, our alienation all radiates out of our alienation from God. All right? And so our, when, we, when we talk about it, right, when we describe it in our, to ourselves, we are not just content with dealing with the physical or sociological or psychological issues. All right? there is a spiritual theological dimension to our brokenness, to our sin, all right? And a lot of people will go to the extent of that psychological circle, right? That what we need most is mental health, right? It's a, it's a common, sort of common way of thinking. Or people might say, well, what we need more is for everybody to get along. So, sociological. So, right? Someone would say, well, if we, if we just got rid of all death and disease, then everything would be okay. Right? That's, that's, that's physical. As Christians, we would say, we would acknowledge all of that is true, right? And that all, and, and right, we, we don't say it's only spiritual or theological, but we would say that all, everything else flows out of our fact that our relationship with God is what is ultimately in view. All right, it's, both. it's all of it, okay? So, and, and this has implications when we talk about redemption. What should we be looking to redeem? All right, what is it that we are trying to recover? Our work of recovery, of redemption, of restoration, of renewal, for looking for, pushing back the effects of sin, needs to be in all four of these dimensions. All right, in all four of these dimensions. It's not only the spiritual, it's all of it. And at the same time, we would say that a person is not truly living the life of blessing and flourishing if their relationship with God is not restored. Okay? So we, we'll get there here in the coming weeks. But this is when we, when we say that this is it. All right. All right. Let's, let's close. This should be the last slide. All right? So when we talk about what, what are the implications of this, all right, when we think about it, all right? The first thing is to, to note is if this is cosmic, if it involves everything, then... There is no, we don't have these two worlds of what has been described as sacred and secular, right? Worldliness is in the church. Are, are you surprised? You shouldn't be surprised, right? Uh, the worldliness is in the church, okay? There are spaces that might be set apart or dedicated for sacred purposes, church, for example, but that does not make this place sacred, Okay, there, 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 are, there is worldliness in, in, in places in the church, and there is goodness, creational goodness, that remains in the world. 
that even though the fall is cosmic, it's universal, it affects everything, we would also say that because of, and this is a key idea in the Bible, is that because of God's common grace, God restraining sin, right? Why is the world not unraveling even more? It is because God is actively holding back those effects of sin, okay? And what we would say is because of that, there is still good in the world. It is good that has become distorted or twisted, but there is still goodness there, all right? So when we talk about what does it mean when in all of these issues with around the transgender issues, for example, and we see people doing things to their bodies or whatever, do they still bear God's good image? Absolutely, right? Even though they might be doing the, everything they possibly can to efface it, right? One way that we can say is the image of God can be effaced, it cannot be erased, all right? You can, you can, you can, you can put graffiti on stuff, but in, you, right, you, in some sense, and you might say that, that, that there's ugliness, there's distortion, there's twisting of God's good creation. But because the story does not begin with the fall, it begins with creation, right? Then our, when, when we look at it, we can say, because God is good, there is still good in creation, okay? And so we, 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 are, we are of that, okay? We are of that. And... And we'll talk, about, we'll talk about application later on, but the main thing to get from this is, is this idea of God's common grace that because God is at work and God is holding back the effects of sin, we still see those things, all right? And there is still goodness that we can enjoy in the world, all right? Even though there is a lot of things that are also messed up. All right, I'll stop there for questions or comments or anything that... You thought I left out that I probably should have included. It's hard when you try to teach all these things because I'm trying to like, what should I take out? What should I leave? It's hard. No? It's hard to answer all the, the, the uh, world's questions at once. <laughs> well, you, well y yes. And, and, but, but also, it's, it's hard to, it's, you, know, when, you know, one of the things that, that I think is, is often helpful is, is to ask, well, how have other worldviews answered this question? Right? Because when we, when we say sin, not everybody thinks that's the problem. Right? Um, and everybody has an answer to the question. And uh, by, by the way, and this is, this is, a, this is just sort of a, if, you're, if, you're ever, if you ever have a conversation with somebody and you're asking the question, um, you know, how, how, do you, how do you engage right, with the gospel? These are good questions to ask. Right? So you ask, like, what, what, do you think is the, what do you think is the problem with the world? Right? I bet you everybody has an answer to that question. Right? So um, it's, it's, a, it's a good way for engagement uh, with somebody else. Um, and then later on, like, so how do you think we should fix it? Right? That, those are all good sort of introduction questions for conversation, I think. Right? One, it will tell you what worldview, right? but also it provides for a way for us to be able to communicate what, what, what we think.
Uh huh. Uh, and, and how you would instruct someone to think about that phenomenon, that thing, that industry, that that sort of thing, and Yeah. So, um, so Wallace is so in the and often what has happened, and I think and I think this is where Wallace is going. But I think in um, days away when you when we think about how do we engage the world, there's a difference between um, and we'll use these terms next week, but of consecrating something and sanctifying something. Okay, so a lot of times what has happened, at least, and I think this is maybe what we're talking about in the, in the Christian music industry, we have basically said that music, right, unless it has certain features that are sacred, that therefore they are not representative of God's good creation anymore, okay? And so what has happened is we take music and we pull it, if you will, into the sacred space of something, right? And we put all of this, and, we, and we, so we, 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 we put in, you know, in Bible language and, and things like that, and we say, there you go. That's how I have worked with music. Rather than, rather than saying music is God's good gift, right? When there is bad music, right? When there is bad music, it means music has been distorted, but it doesn't mean that music is bad, okay? And what, we, and, and what has happened in, in, in some ways is we relegate certain spaces because we say it is too far gone, right? So we look at spaces like politics, right? Or we say places like music or the arts or media or whatever, and we basically say, well, that's too far gone, so I just need to go and bring it into a sacred realm where I can control it, right? And, that, and, and I think that would be the difference between cons and, 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 and actually um, one, of the, one of the books actually mentions this, and uses a term, this idea of consecrating something. In other words, we sort of saying, well, we're doing it for God, and therefore, I've done the work. Um, it's not only doing something for God, it's also asking how do we restore the good thing that God has given? And so a lot of times we would say, is there, right? And, and, and I don't know whether you listen to a lot of Christian music, but um, I'll go out and say, there's a lot of Christian music that's just terrible, all right? It's, 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 it's pr pr pretty bad, um, all right? Um, and, 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 you wonder, and you wonder with all of this, with, 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 you know, Western culture with everything that we know, and you know, the fact that we've spent so much time being able to do good theology, why is it that, we can, that what we produce is that, right? <laughs> it makes you wonder, right? And some, some, some films. Now, there are some films that, are, that, 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 that have been, you know, I think that there have been some better ones, I think, um, all right? And you probably, you know, there are probably some good shows that you've, you've probably seen. I don't watch too many things, so, you know. But, um, but, but, you know, so, but, but, but you always, you always want to ask that question. So, but I think one of the things that we want to affirm are people who are not necessarily working with Christian music, but are doing creational good things in, in these other, in this, in, 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 in other worlds as well. 
right, in things that are not necessarily ca called Christian, right? It's Christians doing music, not Christians' music. Is that good? I'm sure there's a lot more that we can say. You can probably think of a lot more examples, but... Um, Is Les still here? Is that, is that, is that? Um, and next week we'll talk about redemption, all right? We'll talk about this idea of well, what does it mean to restore something? Okay, what does it mean to restore something? Um, and we're gonna make a distinction between consecrating versus sanctifying and renewal rather than revolution, all right? I'm gonna use those two terms, okay? Uh, and, we'll, and, we'll, and we'll talk about that next week. This is a teaser, all right? Um, all right, let me, uh, let me close, and we'll, uh, we'll be, we're going to worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you again, Lord, for um, our time together. Lord, we thank you again, Lord, for uh, the way that you have given us a picture. Um, uh, Lord, even as we look at the story of the fall, uh, Lord, we draw from that. We look at that. It, it gives us a way, a window to be able to understand what's going on in the world, but also what's going on inside of me, um, so that we are not always asking the question, what has happened? But we are, we are also... Because of your grace, we can also come to you and, and say, Lord, this is what I have done, and then relish in the fact of what Jesus has done for us. Um, I pray that we will get even a taste of that, even, even in worship, even in our time with your people this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.